Hey everyone, brand new episode of What's Good here with Greg Meskel. As a reminder, uh, please rate, subscribe, comment on this podcast. I always love your feedback. Great guest here uh, this time around. If you follow Bay Area sports and now national sports as well, Kate Scott does so many great things. Pac-12 Network, Morning Radio in San Francisco, NBC, the list goes on. Kate, good to be with you. It's great to be with you, Greg. Thanks for having me. Kate, we were just talking about it before we started. In 2020, the theme has been what a bummer year for uh, so many of us in general. And while I know it won't go down as anyone's favorite year, professionally, some some great things have happened for you. Is it hard to keep it all in perspective with a pandemic ongoing? What do you think about the good things that have happened for you this year? Yeah, uh, and it is funny, Greg, because as I was telling you just before we started, uh, it's, it's hard for me to remember that with so many bad things that have happened, right? Whether it be to people personally because of COVID, whether it's things canceled because of the pandemic, like there's so much bad um, that I actually appreciate you reminding me of that and friends reminding me. I've actually had this conversation a couple of times over the last few weeks um, because I'm just exhausted as I'm sure a lot of folks are and struggling with what's 2021 gonna look like, right? Like this is the time of year where we usually get excited about next year, but <laughs> who knows what next year is gonna look like. <laughs> um, so I appreciate you and some friends recently saying, hey, I know it feels like eight years ago at this point, but you called an NHL game on national TV back in March. Like you're, you're hosting a show on the radio in one of the top five markets in the country. So a lot of good has happened, but it's, it's definitely, as you can tell with this answer, been hard for me to keep it in perspective because uh, I consider myself a very empathetic person and seeing so many friends lose jobs, seeing so many kids not be able to play sports they love, seeing so many people lose their lives and their livelihoods um, has kind of overshadowed that for me. But if I do step into a super selfish little box <laughs> um, professionally, I've been extremely lucky and uh, I'm really excited about the things that I'm, I, I've started in 2020, hopefully paying off down the road. And, I, and as you mentioned, uh, the morning radio show, the morning roast there in San Francisco. And then it's it's funny, before we uh, got on today, I was looking back and I was remembering the NHL game and I'd reached out to you around that time. And I was looking at the date and I was like, oh, March 8th. So that's like almost a different world. That was kind of pre-pandemic madness. If you think back on that, uh, being, being part of that first all-female crew to call an NHL game, does that feel like another alternate reality? It does. It, it feels, like I said a couple of minutes ago, like eight years ago. And I, I still vividly remember we were all in contact in, in the weeks afterwards because it was such a highlight for so many of us. I mean, it was, I would say up to this point, the pinnacle of my play-by-play -play career, right? You're, you're calling an NHL game on NBC, the home of the NHL here in the States. So it was a huge deal for, for all of us for all different reasons. And we were just saying, thank goodness it was March 8th because the world shut down the following Thursday. Um, so what would have happened if it was the following Sunday? Like so many people who had NCAA tournament dreams canceled. Um, so it, it was such a, a huge deal for all of us. Thank goodness it happened. But at the same time, it does feel like another universe um, because of everything that's happened in, in the months since. So just so grateful that we were able to get that in when we did. You, you hit on this and, and we'll talk about some of their awesome assignments that you've had this year, but you touched on it. So I kind of want to just pick up that thread before where the stuff that we're into, right? It's in the grand scheme, it's sports, right? We're talking about a game. It's not, it's not that pivotal. Uh, how do you kind of balance what this job is and kind of where it fits into the grand scheme of all these 
much bigger life topics that have taken hold in 2020? Yeah, I, I think it's difficult. I'm sure you've struggled with this. I'm sure a lot of your other guests have struggled with it as well um, because you don't want to ignore it, right? But at the same time, now that I'm back in morning radio, uh, you know, what, what do you want to be feeling and thinking when you're first waking up? Well, I'm sure some people really want to know what's going on with news and uh, COVID and everything, but those people are, are, I'm sure, tuning into the news stations. So we see ourselves kind of as sports has always been, the candy shop of life, the entertainment. So as much as possible, even on those days where we're not feeling that great or, you know, the teams like the 49ers are, you know, having a, a dismal season and everybody's injured and it's kind of a reflection of 2020 on the sports field. Um, we still try to try to bring as much fun and, and liveliness and entertainment as possible and kind of be that escape for people because, when the world is is not in a global pandemic, that's most of the time what sports are, right? It's just another form of entertainment. You can go to the movies or you can go to a Warriors or 49ers game. So as much as possible without ignoring the reality on those days where something bad has happened or it's the election, we definitely talk about it, but but we try to bring it back to sports as much, much as possible to give people again that escape and just kind of a little bit of a breath away from the heaviness that has been this year. Yeah, I, th I think it's been hard uh, for anyone in media. <clears throat> they're they're living the life like the rest of us. So you're paying attention to all these things and you're reporting on them or commenting on them. And you don't, you know, I'm thinking about, for example, the pandemic and whether sports should be played or social mm -hmm. justice issues and how that's affecting uh, the results on the court or the field or if, or if games are even going to be played. It's hard to separate those two out when you do have personal feelings about them. And, um, you know, for example, when college sports weren't going on, at a certain time and writers and reporters would talk about, well, should they be playing and shouldn't they be playing? And there's that pushback of, are you, are you rooting against your own industry to not, to not actually exist? And it's like, well, no, but I am trying to be a person, you know, I am trying to like understand what's going on here. And like, nobody wants the games to happen more than those that their livelihood revolves around it. But you also have to kind of have a, have a human existence. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, I can hear the struggle in your voice. I mean, it was really hard for me too, when it was like, is the PAC 12 going to have a college football season? The, the human in me, like you were saying with so many friends in the healthcare field saying, no, we need to be staying at home doing none of this. You all are crazy. I obviously wanted to be supportive of them, but in saying that and, and wanting to voice those opinions, right. We were also saying, well, that means I don't get a paycheck. That means that everything that I have been working for all these years doesn't exist. So I've been grappling with that. And even as college football came back and there's been COVID cancellation after COVID cancel, understandably being on the radio, I could definitely have spent two hours just talking about it and how I think it's been ridiculous that we're trying to play sports through this pandemic, but they're also the people who pay my bills. It's also, I know so many people have wanted that as their escape, as we were talking about a couple minutes before, like the athletes and coaches are just begging to get back out there saying, we're just as safe as we would be at home. You know, I'm not going to get into the weeds there, but it, it has been, I think, just another thing that speaks to the struggle of 2020. You know, what is right? What should we be doing? There's so many different opinions on things. So I have just tried to, to come back to the science as much as possible and, and then move on and try to get back to the fun and entertainment wherever we can find those little bits of joy. And they, they've been hard to find, you know, Greg. Yeah. You, are, you, you are spot on. You hit on your morning show, The Morning Roast, uh, you, Bonta Hill, Joe Shasky uh, on 95.7 in San Francisco. Everyone talks about 
a radio program and its success often tied to the chemistry of the group that hosts it, right? In one mm -hmm. way or another, right? They, they all get along great or they know how to push each other's buttons that make it entertaining listening. They know how to interact with the listeners. Going into this, what, what's the process like? And I'm sure it's probably like a multi-hour conversation, but just generally <laughs> speaking, what's the process like to, to build that chemistry it reminds me a little bit of going into a play-by-play -play situation when you don't know the analyst. And my, my thought has always been like, for the next three hours, we're going to be best friends. I don't yeah. really know you that well, but we're going to be best friends. Yeah. But this is, this is an everyday thing or five days a week. How did you handle that process and how are you handling it? Well, I, I think you're hitting on without even probably realizing or, or, or wanting to go in that direction. What has been for me the most difficult thing of trying to launch a show in the midst of a pandemic? Because in those situations usually, right? We would go out to dinner or, or go out to lunch with our new analyst or you know, get a coffee with them in the hotel lobby before going to call our first game. And then we would dive in and act like we were best friends. And then hopefully you'd get a chance to have another coffee and have another meal and, and spend time in the same room with them. And uh, that may sound kind of odd, but that has been the hardest thing for me. I, I knew Joe and Bonte a little bit beforehand, but having to try to create all this chemistry over Zoom right? Where you don't want to jump on top of each other, but it is a morning show. So it's more fast paced than usually the rest of the shows are throughout the day. Um, but you don't, but you don't really know each other's pacing or timing and you're trying to see body language, but you still have a very small snapshot of the person, which are all things that you can do in studio very easily. So that has been one of the biggest hurdles that we're slowly but surely, I think, getting over. Um, but it's definitely been one of the biggest challenges because when I try to build chemistry, a lot of it is, is in person. And, and way back when we first found out we were going to be doing the show together, we did a social distanced outside dinner just to kind of get to know each other a little bit. And that was great, but I could use more of that every single day, just getting to know the little nuances of their movements and what something means. Uh, so I think uh, I have taken that for granted in the past when it comes to radio, because I've done a lot of radio in the past that just being in the same studio with somebody can be huge. Um, so we're actually seeing that as a challenge that as we overcome it now, once we do get to go back in the studio next year, hopefully, um, will have hit a groove already without having any of that, that hopefully we'll just take an, another step and a huge step once we get to be in person, having those lunches, having those coffees, getting to see what each other moves like in person. Because when you're not doing a radio show by yourself, there is a lot of nonverbal communication that goes on. So, uh, so it's been a challenge, but I think we're slowly but surely working our way through it. Yeah, you've done maybe the hard part now and then it'll get easier when you can actually- Yeah, that's what we're hoping. Uh, yeah. In person. How do the feelings compare uh, a game broadcast and a successful three-hour show, four-hour show? What's the, what's the mark of success in your mind for each, and are they anywhere near the same? That's a good question, Greg. Um, I think if we're just speaking generally, the, the initial success is just did that feel like a good conversation for the past, whether it's two and a half hours because of a, a game I'm calling or four hours because of the morning show. If, if I turn off the mic and take off the headset, and think to myself, well, that just felt like a really easy conversation. I didn't feel like I was reaching or stretching at any point, right, to fill time. I didn't feel like I was saying something that I hadn't prepped to say. I didn't feel kind of out of my league at any point. So I think in that sense, even though they're very different things when it comes to preparing to call a game versus preparing to, to host a four hour radio show, the, the feeling of success is the same. Um, and it just comes back to, I think the ease um, and the calmness and the confidence that I'm feeling after the broadcast is over. So yeah, really good question. 
Thank you, Kate. Appreciate that. Uh, when, <laughs> and when I hadn't thought about that before. <laughs> Nobody else had asked me that. So okay, <laughs> finally, I, I, I know I, I know you do a bunch of interviews, so glad to glad to hit you with something new. Uh, when people read your other interviews, they hear your other interviews, they Google you. There's a lot mm -hmm. of first. Kate Scott, first to do this, first to do this, right? When we're talking about the all uh, female NHL broadcast, the NFL game on the radio, uh, yeah. football with the Pac-12 network, right? Awesome, awesome stuff. Um, I gather that you just wanted to do this stuff and maybe weren't always concerned with being the first, but that's how it worked out. And you, and you, and you get this, you get this opportunity. Um, describe kind of the, the feeling of the responsibility of carrying that first into these things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you nailed it again. It's, it's never been, Oh, I really hope I can be the first woman, <laughs> right? The hope is always that other people have gotten the opportunity before you. At least that's the hope for me. I've, I've never gone into any of those instances saying, Oh, this is awesome. I was hoping that I could have the eyes of the entire country on me being the first woman to try not to fail calling an NHL game. Um, but when it, when it comes to the responsibility, um, it's just a personal thing for me. And, and a lot of folks, question me on that, you know, why, why do you feel so responsible? Um, but it is because of the fact that I think that there has been plenty of qualified women who have come before me who haven't gotten the chance. So the fact that whether it's right place at right time, whether it's being prepared, whatever the reason that allowed me to get those opportunities, uh, I've gotten them. So I better take full advantage of this to make sure that I'm not the last, right? That is, that is the most important thing to me. And it's not necessarily just for women. It's for anybody who doesn't look and sound like the people who are calling the majority of games right now who, who want to do it, but never until maybe they heard me calling a game or saw me calling a game thought that they could do it. Um, and that's just a responsibility. I feel because, um, I feel such a, a respect and appreciation for the women who have come before me, who have taken, didn't need to, but Beth Mullins and Andrea Kramer and Leslie Visser and so many women who I wouldn't be able to be even having this conversation with you because I wouldn't be hosting a radio show in San Francisco. I wouldn't be calling games. None of that exists without them. And they have been so kind in welcoming me into their fraternity or sorority or whatever you want to call it of sorts. Um, and being there anytime I've had a question. Um, so I just want to pay that forward as much as I can because it's ridiculous to me that it's taken so long since they were the first for me to then be kind of the second first. I know a lot of people use the word trailblazer, but I kind of see myself as just the next person, hopefully holding the door open for a whole lot of people. So that as opposed to letting another 20 years pass between when I call a football game on the Pac-12 and another qualified woman calls a football game, if they want to, hopefully it'll be in the next five to 10 years that there's just this huge rush of people who saw or heard one of the games I did now thought that they could do it, went to college and trained for it and, and are prepared to, to get out there and crush it. So the responsibility, yeah, it's a big deal to me because I, I have such respect for the women who came before me. And really, I just want to make them proud and, and see what they hoped would happen all those years ago when they put up with way more crap than I have put up with in my career, um, that they get to finally see the fruits of their labor, labor. If I can help with that just a little bit, then I'll, I'll have done a good job in my mind. That's that's excellent and well said. And the other thought I had about that was that calling these games is challenging as it is, right? If there's not this other element to it, it's it's <laughs> hockey personally terrifies me in general. <laughs> it terrified me too, but it's actually really fun. And I think you could do it with all the all the random sports that you call too, Greg. Well, we'll appreciate that. But uh, <laughs> as you're going into these, 
these historic moments yeah. do you kind of just take the the history part and kind of put it over here because i need to do the game and then that stuff comes back after how do you kind of compartmentalize it's hard it's really hard um but i've been lucky to now get to to have this happen a number of times right so like any experience uh calling the 49ers preseason games those were the first big firsts and i'm so thankful that it was preseason on the radio <laughs> because i think the listenership was maybe smaller than it would have been with like the nhl game which was my most recent first back in march so i'm so thankful for that because it allowed me to deal with that pressure and the overwhelming emotions of don't let your entire gender down, don't screw up. You know, there's so many people just waiting to say this was an awful idea by the 49ers. And I think as much as I tried to push it away just because I was younger and it was the first time that I did it, that it was overwhelming. As much as I tried to compartmentalize, it was hard. But thanks to that experience, the next year when the Pac-12 asked me to call a football game, I knew a little bit more like, stop looking at social media a couple of days before and maybe don't look for a day after. So I learned things then, you know, talk to these people, don't talk to these friends because they're not going to say the things you need to hear as you're, as you're prepping for a broadcast. Um, and then with the NHL game, thanks to all of that, that was really the one where I said, okay, call the number of football games now for the Pac-12, got those 49 er games under my belt. I had the confidence finally to just say, look, you're here for a reason. NBC could have asked anybody. <laughs> anybody would have jumped at this chance, but they wanted you. So lean into that. Be confident in the fact that they wanted you. Be confident in the incredibly skilled people I had around me. That was one of the best things for me. We went out to a dinner the night before with all the women who have worked on hockey broadcasts full-time for the past 20 plus years. And hearing their stories, um, just made me want to go out and, and crush the call for them, getting back to kind of the responsibility we were just talking about. So um, I was able to, for the first time, thanks to the previous experiences on that Sunday evening in Chicago back in March, just let it all go and just say, let's just call the game. You're here for a reason. Yeah, it might be the first and it's a big deal to everybody else, but everybody on this crew does this every day of the week. Uh, they wanted you to be a part of it. So let's just call the game and have a blast. And, and hopefully that will be enough to, to, you know, help things take the next step. And, and thankfully the response was surprisingly overwhelmingly positive. <laughs> Even NBC said that they were like, wow, we were expecting a lot more hate than we got. So bravo. <laughs> those are I the good call. Those are like, positive responses you get after, after doing something like this. Um, hey, but, great job. No, no one threw a brick through our window. So yeah, yeah, this is actually exactly. working out really well. Yeah. Nobody's hacked into our account during the game. So <laughs> you must've done something right. But so think uh, the experience has been wonderful. I know that was a, a very all over the place answer but I, I, I now have the confidence to, if it happens again, um, hopefully go in the same way I did back in March and just say, you know, I'm here for a reason, let's go out and crush it. No, I, I love the idea of you talking about the opportunity arose and you took it. I was talking over the summer, we're doing lots of uh, 20 year look backs at the Sydney Olympics in 2000. Mm -hmm. That was the first Olympics for women's water polo and the Australians worked really hard to get the sport involved. They, they staged some epic moves, crashing meetings, wearing their bathing suits to kind of get the Olympics <laughs> women, wow. water polo included. But one of the athletes said, look, we, it, it kind of came down to the idea like, you know, if not us, who? And if not now, when? You know, and kind of like this is our chance and we're doing it. So, um, you know, they they were not apologetic for being the first. They, they had they had earned their time, you know, the yeah. way you described, you know, you had put the work in, you earned your opportunity. Yeah, exactly. And it's terrifying to say that. And I think especially as women, 
And I don't know why this is, but it, it is so hard for us to celebrate our victories outwardly, right? So many guys I know have no problem saying, here's my Emmy Awards, this is what I've done before. And I'm an awful self-promoter and people have continued to tell me that, but it just feels strange because that's why I got into play-by-play -play because the athletes are the, the people who should be the stars. That is the story. I don't want myself to be the story. So that has had an added layer of things, but yeah, uh, you just gotta dive into it um, and have that confidence that I love the, the water polo stories. That's awesome. Oh, I'm gonna have to do some more research on that after the fact, yeah, um, yeah, but was, you yeah. know, if, if it's not you, it's gonna be somebody else. So it might be terrifying, but just say yes and figure it out and dive in and do the best you can. I was, I was reading an interview you had done where you talked about, you know, coming out of school, you're like, all right, ESPN, here I come. And like, it didn't happen. And then you're doing a bunch of other things. And it was like, kind of a jarring, like, oh, okay. I like, I, you know, this is, this is not going exactly the way I thought, but you, you worked your way up and you hustled, right. And, and, and there was part of it was talking about your preparation for these 49er games, right. And you're, you're there all the time. You're at practice, you're taking notes, right. So you are, you are so diligent about this. And it made me think about, opportunities when you get them and wanting them so bad and then wanting to do so well at them. And I wondered if, if the, if the prep and the desire and everything ever kind of bled into how you were going to call the game. And what I'm getting at is, do you ever have a feeling or did you have a feeling coming up where you were kind of like white knuckle driving it? Like you wanted it so bad. You yeah. could like squeeze it. Like I need to do this. I need to do it great. And then you had to kind of learn a way to like, let it happen. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, and, and I'm flashing back to, so I was in Vegas working in a Pac-12 women's basketball tournament. Uh, the day before I flew to Chicago on a red eye to call the hockey game back in March and then flew back to Vegas to cover the Pac-12 men's basketball tournament. But it was like four o'clock, it was the dinner break. Um, and, and I'm gonna head to the airport in just a couple of hours and catch the red eye back to Chicago. And Mary Murphy, you know Mary, she's a longtime analyst for us in basketball out here in the Pac-12. Um, and for folks who don't know, I would say she's our Doris Burke. She's been calling men's basketball for a long time, a great coach back in the day. But uh, in between all the basketball games, we're sitting in the catering area and I have my hockey board out. And Mary comes over to me and she just says, Kate, promise me something tomorrow. I said, okay, what's going on, Mary? And she said, you know all this, don't look down, just look up and call the game. Just, just look up, trust your prep, call the game. You know all this. Um, and, and I tell you that story because I think I was 100% white knuckling it during the 49ers games and probably during the Pac-12 football games that I've called as well. And it's such a simple thing to say, just trust your prep. Um, but it takes a long time to learn. And I think that that has been an added layer because of my gender. I always feel like I have to be even better than any guy who is doing a broadcast like this. And I mean, that's, that's a lot to ask when it's your first time maybe calling a sport to be better than everybody that you've listened to for all these years. Um, but yeah, that, that has been something that I've had to learn over the past couple of years. And I think I'm finally getting there that the best driving, getting back to what we were talking about earlier when it comes to a successful broadcast. And I said, well, it just was an easy conversation. You're not going to have an easy conversation if you're like, oh, I have to get this story in. Oh, I need to, I need to say this little nugget about this one player. You just got to, you got to let it go a little bit. Maybe you're holding the wheel down here because you still got to have a hand on the wheel, but you're doing the relaxed, laid back driving. Um, and you're just listening to your analyst and you're watching the game. And if you get the stories in great, but if you don't, nobody's going to know. They just want to, they just want to enjoy the game and you're there to help them enjoy the game. So 
uh, that was another one of the successes I think I had back in March with the hockey game. Thanks in part to what Mary said to me, just trust your prep. You know everything that's on your board. And if you forget for a second, look down, but then look back up because it, it really is, Greg, as you know, uh, it's a hard thing to do, but the more comfortable you can just get in yourself and what you know, and then looking up the entire time that you're broadcasting a game, the better that game's going to be. You're exactly right. And I, because, and I, and I described it because I've, I've had the same exact feeling where yeah, we all have. you battle so hard to get a chance. And then you're like, I better, I better crush this so that there, I can leave no doubt. You know, it's like, that's just such an impossible burden to put on yourself. And then for the sports that have a lot of players, you know, it's different basketball, volleyball, even, even soccer, yeah. you get into football, this idea that you're going to know everybody, right. It's just, it's just not happening. Uh, yeah. You're not going to memorize all these rosters to a T where you're not in need of your stuff. And uh, I found that personally to be very freeing. Like once I was like, okay, like I will use the notes I have. I will not need to know all of this. It's not mm -hmm. a closed book test. Exactly. And, and to realize like the fact that I didn't get the note that Alex Petrangelo has triplets into our Blues Blackhawks broadcast. Major fail. It's not going to get me hired back the next yeah. time. How, how did you do calling the game? Were you listening to your analysts? Were you calling the game correctly? So it's it sounds silly, I'm sure, to folks who don't do this. Um, but yeah, we create these kind of impossible bars that I think we have to leap over when we get an opportunity like that. Uh, and really, you just have to, to come to see, no, they hired you because they like what you've done before. So just do that but as best as you can this one and, and then hope that you get better for the next time. You, you, had, you had mentioned kind of it, it being on your mind, obviously your gender as you're going into a profession that is, is at least play, play by player, right? Dominated by, by men uh, and all the prep and you're doing as you're calling games, the, uh, the way you sound, how, stories that you give, the way you talk, was that on your mind as you're coming up? Did you think you had to develop a certain sound yeah. Uh, you know, the way you're talking now is the way you sound on a broadcast. So it doesn't, you know, you don't, you don't put on some other thing. But it's taken a while to get there. I mean, you, you flash back to my first couple of years of broadcasting and my producers would always be in my ear saying, Kate, stop it with a broadcaster voice, right? Because, and I think it was hard also because even 20 years ago, broadcasters sounded different, right? There was kind of a broadcastery tone. Hello, everybody, and welcome yeah. to the Rose Bowl. It's yeah. time for, so, and coming from radio as well, Every time during the break, my producer would be like, Kate, get out of radio voice, just talk like Kate. So that was another thing I had to learn because yeah. you just hear, okay, this is what a play-by-play -play announcer should yeah. sound like. So when you're first getting into that and you try to sound like them, not realizing, oh no, I can I can just use some of the, the verbiage that you, they use, but I need to deliver this in my own voice. So, um, and, and yeah, being a woman, especially on football, that's been one of the things too. I listen back to games I called even a couple of years ago and I'm thinking to myself, Okay, you could have gone into your higher register there. You didn't have to go down when you were calling that touchdown to make it sound like it was a man's touchdown. Yeah. Like I could have said, touchdown bears. I could have gone up. Um, these are little things I think about because yeah. uh, voice matters when, when you're calling games. So, so yeah, uh, that's uh, something that I definitely still battle with too. So many great things we, we've, we've covered. What's on the bucket list down the road? I mean, it's, it sounds like the hockey thing kind of came to you, right? You, yeah. you weren't sure about that. They could have called anyone. It was awesome. They called you. Are there things you you have in mind five years, 10 years, bigger other events you'd love to cover or call? 
Yeah, there is. Um, I'd love to do more hockey if that comes to pass because uh, I was terrified of it and it was terrifying. But being soccer is the sport I played the most growing up and I and I love it and I love calling soccer as well. Just the continuity and, and the flow of it. Um, I feel like hockey is at times soccer on ice with maybe a little bit of water polo and basketball sure, sure. thrown in as well. Um, but it was once I got over the terror and, and learned how to call it, uh, it was really fun because it is so fast paced. So hopefully a little more of that if and when the opportunity arises, but, but uh, the Olympics and, and the World Cup, those are kind of the huge sporting events that I grew up on. I know everybody says, oh, Super Bowl, oh, World Series, like keep your eye on these things. But to me, it's, it's more global than that. The big sporting events for me growing up were the Olympics and the World Cup. So even if it's I joke with NBC, you know, underwater basket weaving, if that's what I get to call some sport that nobody sees and I'm calling it from Stanford because they don't want to fly me to the Olympics, that would be huge. And then being a soccer player, uh, World Cup, even if I'm calling the randomest games, um, I don't care if it's men's or women's, there's just something about that sporting event. So that's, that's, those are the two big things on the bucket list. And I could list off a zillion other things, but those are the two big ones for me, Greg. Yeah, the, the the Olympic Games, ha having the chance to have to have been at a few of those, and I tell people it's you you maybe have gone to an NBA Finals or or March Madness or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's just different. It's just not. Yes, it's sports, but it's not the same thing. Uh, yeah, it is just a collaboration of everyone coming together. You tap into pride for your country and your sport that you didn't even know you had. It's just a whole different energy. And so hopefully that happens because it is it is really an awesome experience. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping. That's what I'm hoping. What sports have you called at the Olympics? Uh, water polo, uh, and then, and then I've covered, uh, so I've done more reporting and it's been water polo diving. And then I did the winter games, uh, freestyle skiing, snowboarding, uh, snowboard cross. So it was, uh, oh, you know, and how much did you know about those sports before you called them? Very little. It was, it was, it was similar to your hockey experience where yeah. would you like to do this? And definitely. And now I'm going to sure. spend the next uh, eight months learning <laughs> all about these moves and these riders and mm -hmm. the, the lingo and the terminology, but it is, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just a totally it different is. experience. And those athletes, uh, they don't get the coverage that the yeah. mainstream athletes get. Sure. Sean White or Chloe Kim is, is, is world famous. Right. But, uh, you know, the average person from Belarus is not on the cover of sports illustrated. Mm -hmm. It's such a different opportunity to cover them. And that's something too, that you don't get even, even at, mid-major division one basketball, right? Gets is a certain level of notoriety above many Olympians who are working just as hard or harder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh man, that's so awesome. Well, hopefully we get to work in Olympic games yeah. together. That that's would be so much fun. Great plan to me, I love the Let's idea. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> Done, uh, call it up, make it happen. Um, a couple of uh, off off topic questions. Well, one is still about broadcasting because I, I checked in with you. I loved your call of uh, Stanford women's basketball, Fran Belibi dunk the other day. And the reason why it dawned on me was because uh, I saw a highlighter for maybe a year or two ago. And I was like, first of all, I think it's awesome. I love dunks in general from anybody. Like you can never show me enough dunks. I'll watch them on YouTube. But I was thinking about, man, if I ever did a Stanford game, I'd be so amped at the possibility of a dunk. I like, I might go insane. So how did you know that the dunk is possible? It had to be on your mind that it's yeah. a possibility she can dunk. How do you do it, but not like explode like into like outer space? <laughs> well, and the thing was, I thought I did. As we went to break, I apologized to our audio people. And I said, 
oh, I tried not to yell. I tried to just be really excited because you know, right? Uh, yeah. you, you try to get as energetic as possible, yeah. but if you scream, you can get that popping and cracking yes. in the microphone. Yeah. Um, but I, I just had a feeling it was a big night for Tara Vanderveer. It was the night yeah, that she tied Pat Summit's all-time wins record. Um, but we also knew, and I was working with Mary, who I mentioned earlier, we also knew that Cal is just wrecked by injuries already this season. So it was going to be a blowout. We know Fran can dunk. We saw the highlights from her coming in high school and she's now a sophomore at Stanford. She hadn't done it yet. And it just kind of felt like, okay, this is going to be a blowout. Cal is not playing very good defense. There's a chance that this could happen tonight. So just be ready. And none of us really wanted to say it, but just before the game, as we were watching Fran warm up, just kind of looked at Mary and said, do you, do you think maybe tonight? She's like, yeah, maybe be, re be ready for it. Hope you've been practicing. I was like, okay. Uh, and then my favorite part of the call uh, is the fact that is, so the whole sequence now watching back is ridiculous. Fran steals the ball almost on one baseline, crosses over a defender and then is off to the races. And as soon as she crosses mid court, Mary says, do it, Fran. <laughs> so she knew, and I didn't, I didn't hear that at, at the, you know, moment that it was happening because I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this is going to happen. It's going to happen. Whatever you do, don't scream into the microphone, but be excited, but don't scream into the microphone. Um, but that is actually my favorite part of the call is Mary saying, do it, Fran, because she knew instantly the former basketball coach and player in her. Um, and it makes sense because she was wide open and she had a couple of teammates trailing her, like she was taking an interception back to the house and nobody was around her. Um, but, but yeah, I wanted to, I just knew I wanted to say her name because I knew that the highlight was going to be hopefully everywhere if I didn't mess up the call. So I wanted people to knew, know who she was. So I wanted to get Fran Belibi in there so that folks would also know how to say her name. And then I kind of just let it roll and I ended up saying, you better believe it, baby, because I'm an <laughs> idiot. Um, I, but I, I love it, but yeah. I also know, I, th I thought it was corny and it just came to my, you know, we try not to practice those calls, yes. right? Anytime I know something big's gonna happen, I try a bunch of different ways to call it just to see if anything sounds remotely fun in my head. But then after that, I don't repeat it because I want it to feel as natural as possible on air. But it just kind of came to mind because it is so rare for us to see a woman dunk. So that's why I was like, you better believe it. There's been a dunk here tonight at Cal. Um, and it was, you know, I didn't know. So this is where we should have, I should have done better research. I didn't know it was the first dunk in Stanford history. So oh, exactly. I, I wish I, I, I would have done a little more on that. But at the same time, getting back to not white knuckling, I think the call was better because I didn't have all that information in my head. And because people were able to have that conversation then while retweeting the highlight and stuff, when you're calling a game, you just want to have fun. So yeah, I, I thought it was really fun and uh, for for kind of expecting it, but not wanting to plan and everything, I thought I thought Mary and I did a pretty good job covering it. My nomination for your next call of a Believe You Dunk is yes. I'm a believer. So <laughs> throw it out there. Just... I love it. <laughs> I am a million percent taking that from you because hopefully, hopefully I'll be calling more Stanford games this year and hopefully there'll be more Fran Dunks. <laughs> oh, fantastic. And you know, I know it's probably, and this is part of my next question, it, you know, <laughs> A little tinge to watch Stanford push Cal around, right? You're a you're a Cal bear. Yeah, but Cal's uh, won a couple in the next in the last couple of years. So yeah, but uh, bigger picture because I have a lot of Stanford grads uh, in my wife's family, so I hear a lot about the Cardinal. Uh, yeah. many Stanford highlights. You're a Cal person from from the Cal side of it. Just kind of 
give me a little flavor of like the Cal Stanford rivalry. What like makes it such a big deal in your mind? Mm, well, it's really fun when both teams, whatever sport they're competing in, uh, are good at the same time, right? Which is what we've had the last couple of years in women's basketball has been kind of hit or miss for football. Um, but I think when it comes to old school rivalries and the fact that there's so many Cal and Stanford alums who still live here in the Bay Area. That is one of the fun parts for me, that it is a generational rivalry. It's not, you know, recency, we've been talking about this recently on, on my morning show. Who, who's the bigger 49ers rival? Is it the Seahawks because the last few years? Is it the Cowboys because of the 90s? Well, the cool thing about Cal Stanford is it has been the rivalry forever, dating back to the late 1800s. And the fact that they have this ridiculous axe that gets passed back and forth and has been stolen over the years. And the fact that so many people intermarry, you know, you say you hate Stanford people and then 10 years later, you end up marrying one because you went to grad school at the other campus. Um, that's a part of it for me. The fact that we do so many events in San Francisco during big game week, which is leading up to the, the Cal Stanford football game. It's just, to me, it's like old school sports fun. It's not about fights in the parking lot. It's not about betting. It's just about throw the records out the window. Let's just see if the blue and gold is better today or the cardinal and white. And it spans every sport. And, and that's one of the fun things that I've been able to discover. Like, usually they revolve around football, but you know, like the water polo players hate each other just as much as the football players, the women's basketball players hate each other just as much. And that there's the big spike in volleyball and the big splash in the pool. And it, I, I don't think it happens anymore, but one of my favorite events was the big freeze when there used to be hockey teams and we'd all get drunk and go down to the rink on the Friday before the football game. And, you know, not some of the best hockey players in the country, but just guys having fun and they just wanted to rep their colors and it didn't matter the final score or anything it was just uh trying to best that other team here in the bay so that was probably an awful way of describing it but to me it's just <laughs> just old school sports you you hate them and then after the game you put your arm around them and you go drink with them because everybody's nobody's dying and uh, we're having just a great time playing sports my uh indoctrination into the cal stanford understanding the rivalry was serious because growing up in the northeast college sports in the new york new jersey area is not a big deal it's there's yeah. just not the same intensity around it was uh, being a cow for an event and staying at Hotel Durant and going into the men's room where there was a Stanford urinal. So <laughs> that's how I knew, okay, this is where we're at. Okay, this is- <laughs> You were right into it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, classic. Uh, Kate, this has been great to talk with you. We'll wrap up with our what's good questions, uh, kind of three fun ways to end. Uh, during this year, during the last, whatever, eight, eight nine months, first, what's, what's something you've done just for you? It doesn't need to be work-related. Oh, it's something I've done just for me. Mm. Uh, well, uh, I have been wanting to for a long time. I've taken Spanish on and off, took it all the way through through college. But you know, if you don't really go to the country, it's hard to be fluent in it. Worked in restaurants, tried to speak Spanish with, you know, uh, uh, folks who were working at the restaurants with me. Um, but I, I'm diving into uh, like Tommy Thompson, uh, a San Jose earthquake who we love. I'm diving into the the language apps now on my phone because I, I I really want to learn how to speak Spanish as fluently as possible, especially covering sports with so many athletes. Um, English is their second language. I'd love to be able to communicate with them in their first language, just the way that they are so kind to, to you know, bring their vulnerabilities and stuff to, to air with us and try to say something in English, even though it's, it's not first, you know, nature for them. So that's something I've been doing for me because I just, I would love to, to get there and be bilingual. Uh, I don't know if I will, but that's something that I've been enjoying kind of taking my mind off of everything that's been going on in the world this year. 
It's it's so funny you mentioned that because just this morning I was into like a YouTube rabbit hole of watching uh, Clarissa Ward reporting for CNN. And I, I'm not sure if you've seen her work before, but no. she speaks about six or seven languages fluently. Wow. She's, she's in Russia interviewing someone and she's translating her own questions yeah. to the camera. Yeah. Then she's in Syria. She's interviewing people. I mean, heavy, heavy topic stories, but I was like, that is unbelievable to be able to well, switch and it back just and opens forth. up a whole new world, right? Getting yeah. back to the Olympics and World Cup being the two big things that I would love to call. It just takes you into a world that you may have walked by it in however many years you've been on this earth and you know that there's a conversation going on and you know that they're passionate but you'd love to know what they're saying or you'd love to go to a certain country and truly be able to immerse yourself in it and i think language is, is the way there so language and sports those are two big things so yeah hopefully i can i can get like that cnn reporter in yeah. a couple of years or at least with two languages not yeah. seven that's not going to happen in my life seven, seven's <laughs> uh, something you've done for someone else recently oh done for someone else um, hmm. Well, I don't know if my neighbors are going to like this, but uh, my mom always used to bake cookies um, when we were growing up and give them out to our neighbors. And I figured, you know what, we're all stuck at home right now. Uh, everybody's probably had to cancel their plans for, for the Christmas holiday for those celebrating and that stinks. So maybe I'll bring you a little cheer and make some cookies for you. Well, the cookies did not turn out as pretty as the cookies when my mom made them, but they do taste the same. So even though my wife is very embarrassed and doesn't think I should put them in bags and try to give them out to neighbors, uh, I plan to do that in the next few days in hopes to just bring a smile to them. And I'm gonna just write a little note. You can throw these out. You can give them to your dog, whatever you wanna do. But uh, just wanted to try to give you a smile. And, uh, and especially with everything that's going on in this world, I just feel like the joy as we've talked about is so few and far between right now that every little bit counts. So. Hopefully that'll help some people that that live near me get a little bit of a smile and chuckle this week. If they taste good, Kate, no one is going to be upset. So thank you, Greg. I mean, they may look like little pancakes as opposed to puffy, yummy cookies, but the chocolate chips are still in there, and they they still they go down just the same. Because how many times have we seen one of these giant like fondant designed cakes? Those don't <laughs> taste very good. They look beautiful. Thank you. Thank uh, you. Yeah, you're welcome. But you're just fine with the Costco sheet cake. That's all you need. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, and last thing, uh, when you're not working, you're not busy, what's what's kind of your escape? What makes you laugh when you want to kind of just unplug from everything else? Mm -hmm. uh, my dog, probably. She's she's right there. This is <laughs> great. Uh, and she's been surprisingly quiet this whole interview. So thank you, Piper. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm so glad we actually got her little over a year and a half ago. So before the pandemic, we weren't one of those people that, that got an animal during the pandemic, but had never owned a dog before, grew up with cats, knew it was gonna be a big responsibility. It definitely is. Um, but just being outside, you know, got a walker a couple of times a day cause we don't have a yard. Um, and that that is just a wonderful way for me to recharge and just, you know, she's smelling the bushes and I look at her and I think, oh, yeah, it's okay to just do that. I don't have to be memorizing stats or, or on Twitter or watching a game right now. It's okay to take 15 to 20 minutes and just breathe in how lucky I am to be here and be healthy in 2020 and have a job and have a spouse and have a house. And so that's a great reset for me every day. And she does pretty ridiculous stuff too, like all animals do, right? So, <laughs> so that, is, that has been my um, smiling, laughing joy so far of 2020 is the pup who hopefully stays quiet for a few more minutes. That's a great way to put things in uh, perspective as well. Uh, Kate, Kate's got 95.7 mornings, uh, Pac-12 Network, uh, hopefully more hockey on NBC. Great to talk with you. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks, Greg. Happy holidays to everyone listening. Happy holidays to you too.